Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Gomison. Super excited, as always, to be joining you with another great episode of the Speaking for Him podcast. We're going to talk about another myth of modern Christianity, which is you don't have to tell people they are sinners. Uh, one alarming trend that I have seen in people calling themselves Christians, and especially even pastors, is they do not deal with the issue of sin. And if you read the Bible, and you take it literally, as I do, you have to believe that the prerequisite for coming to God is to acknowledge your sin and your unworthiness before him. That's the whole premise of biblical Christianity. We are not sufficient in and of ourselves for salvation. We need help. And that help comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. So we're going to dig into that in just a little while. But before we do, I want to talk to you a little bit about what is going on. All right, well, we are on the cusp of returning to back to school in the fall. Uh, and as someone who works at the Potter's House Christian School, this directly affects me. I'm excited to be back with my coworkers this week as we train and prepare for the start of school next week. So I would covet your prayers in that regard. And with that being the case, I thought it was important to discuss a recent news story out of the state of Oregon. Welcome back. When a governor signs a bill that they're proud of, there's usually a lot of fanfare, a signing ceremony, a press release, and a few rounds of TV interviews. But what happens when they know their actions are about to hurt generations of kids in their state? Last month, Oregon Governor Kate Brown quietly got rid of proficiency requirements for high school graduation. This means that students can graduate without proving that they know how to read, write, or do math. So why would she do this? To help minorities, of course. In a statement, the governor's office said that suspending the reading, writing, and math proficiency requirement while the state develops new graduation standards will benefit, quote, Oregon's black, Latino, Latinx, Latinx, uh, indigenous, Asians, Pacific Islanders, tribal, and students of color. Frankly, it is insulting that they think the bar needs to be lower for people with a different skin color than theirs. It is lazy to give up and say poor students don't have the capability of learning, so we'll just pass them without actually educating them. If you actually want these kids to learn, you need to put in the work. And if you're not willing to do that, then give these families the choice to put their kids in a school that will. Take a look at Capital Prep. A charter school with locations in Harlem, the Bronx, Hartford, Connecticut, that serve predominantly low-income students, people of color. They refuse to lower the bar. Instead, they raise the bar. They push their students to meet high standards. They prepare them for challenges of the real world, and they don't make excuses. The result? 100% of college acceptance rate for their graduates. Shouldn't all students have the option to attend a school that cares about their future? 
Teachers unions and school boards know that if parents had the option to use their tax dollars going to public schools to instead uh, send their kids to better charter schools, there would be a mass exodus. And the public school system would either have to drastically improve or shut down. So for them, it's just easier to lower the bar. And that's sad. Joining me now, Whitney Monroe. Uh, Serial Institute CEO and Maz Torre, founder of Black Guns Matter. Whitney, I want to go to you first because you have um, been an education reform advocate most of your adult life. But it seems like they think instead of improving the system, let's just lower the standards. Yeah, no, it's really sad. I want everyone watching tonight to understand that what Governor Brown and the bureaucrats are doing is they're not pushing for equity. This really isn't about equity. It's, in fact, going to create a system that does the exact opposite, increases learning gaps, lowers the bar, and basically tells children, you don't have what it takes to achieve at a high standard. It's very sad. And we have to ask ourselves, what's the incentive here? What is the incentive behind getting rid of these learning standards? You know, in Oregon, kids were out of school. Their schools were locked down for 14 plus months. They were lucky if kids logged in for their two to three days a week of virtual learning. So we know that gaps that already existed were exacerbated by the pandemic. And now that it's time for kids to go back to school and for us to start seeing where they really are, instead of going, you know what, let's look at where they are, let's set a baseline, we've gotten rid of the baseline. So now those people responsible for breaking the system won't be held accountable because we won't actually have the numbers to prove where the kids really are. That's exactly right. Maj, uh, the message is very clear from me. Young brothers, black and brown, you can't cut the mustard. You can't read, you can't write. If you come from a poor neighborhood, then we can't educate you. You cannot be helped. And so let's just get rid of the standards. Did, did, I, did I get that wrong, Maj? No, you got it absolutely right. This is the soft bigotry of low expectations. This is the let's make sure that the black folks that you guys can't really do it anyway. So let's just lower the bar for you. And they can they can try to couch it in as many vague and flowery words as they want to. But the reality of the matter is it's the soft bigotry of low expectations. I have quite a bit to say on this topic. So I'll start here. A couple months ago, uh, There was a story out of California saying that they were lowering the requirements for the bar exam because not enough people of color were passing the bar exam. And actually, I think this happened like a year and a half ago, but it was coming out that that's what they were doing. And they were showing that over the past year, year and a half, the number of people passing the bar exam had gone up and that looks good for the state of California, but I discussed on the menacing podcast with Russ Van Allen and friends, whether I really would want to have a lawyer who passed the bar under these lower standards. And if I would appreciate having standards lowered because a certain race was not passing at a high enough rate. Now, I think this is a more nuanced issue than it may appear, so let me unpack this a little bit. First of all, at first blush, I'm like, absolutely not. Lowering the standards should not be a good thing. But then I read that California had one of the hardest bar exams across the nation, to even pass. So 
taking an honest look at the bar exam in California and deciding to lower standards for that reason would not necessarily be bad. However, the fact that it's couched in race and we have told people of minority status, you can't pass this, you can't reach this standard, so we are going to lower it for you. That is not a good standard. And as you heard in this clip, um, which was hosted by Lawrence B. Jones on Fox News, he makes the point that lowering standards is no incentive. Like, there's no incentive to do better when you lower academic standards. Now, again, this has a two-sided, double-edged sword in a, in a regard. Again, let me unpack it a little bit for you. Because I feel like I have experience of being in the place of being a victim of the soft bigotry of low expectations. I was homeschooled for the majority of my life, but before I was homeschooled, I was put into a public school classroom for some preschool, for kindergarten, and for first grade. At the end of my first grade year, my teachers told my parents that they wanted to hold me back because of such things as I couldn't read and I needed speech therapy, things of that regard. And I'm so glad that my parents pulled me out of that situation and decided to homeschool me. Now, mind you, they started homeschooling me before it was even legal because that's how convicted they were that this needed to happen. But let me explain to you what happens in the special education school system. Essentially, for special ed, they can keep you in quote-unquote high school until you're 21. And then you have to find other opportunities. But I can tell you from my brief experience that I was not prepared to graduate from school. And I'm convinced that if I had stayed in that system, I would have been in high school, quote-unquote, until I was 21. And then I would have been deemed dumb or at the very least not as smart as I could have been because I wasn't challenged to learn the things I needed to learn. That's one side of things. The other side of things is that we have an organized education system that basically picks one curriculum for everyone. And if you excel in that curriculum, then you're smart. If you struggle in that curriculum, you're stupid. And if you are average... You're average. 
One of the best things that happened to me with homeschooling is that my parents could tailor my educational journey to my personal strengths. And I'm so thankful that they did. So as we unpack this issue of rescinding graduation requirements, I believe there's two sides. First of all, as I said in my opening to this segment, that if you do this on the basis of race, you are telling someone because you are this race, you can't achieve. So we are going to lower the standards for you so that we can give you the illusion of achievement. And that is not good. That being said, the other side of it is that, I don't know, probably about 10 years ago now, the state of Michigan decided to increase the amount of required math and science for high school graduates. And I have to say that if I had had those math and science requirements, I would have really struggled to graduate from high school. It didn't make me any dumber because the standards rose, but it definitely would have made it a struggle. So I do think that academic standards need to be considered. They need to be thought about. They need to be changed when necessary. But this idea that the color of your skin determines your intelligence is just one more dangerous byproduct of the times in which we are living. It kind of goes along with the overall thinking of critical race theory, which starts any conversation about racism in America with the idea that if you are white, you have to be racist. And once you've started the discussion there, there's no way to move forward from that. Because you've already put everyone who's not of color on the defensive. And now schools, I've been looking at stories where schools are starting to segregate students by color again and say, well, the, the black people need to learn with black people and the white people need to learn with, for, with white people. This thing that we fought to end in the 60s is rearing its ugly head again. I want to tell you that the reason that I have been able to be a success today is because my parents, and particularly my dad, my mom as well, did not allow me to use my disability as an excuse for not succeeding. My parents had to work with me longer on certain things, that is true, but they did not allow me to use my disability as an excuse for not succeeding. They sent me to a normal summer camp with my brothers, which exposed me to normal, everyday boys and girls. And it also exposed them to me for the first time. And I hope taught some of them how to interact with people with disabilities. 
which let's be honest, is not that much different than how you should react to people who are able-bodied. I think we put way too much emphasis on differences and not enough on where we are the same. It's It astounds me that we live in a culture where we're not teaching people to overcome their difficulties. We're teaching them to embrace their difficulties and to stay where they are. And this actually has a very important spiritual application. The spiritual application being this. I I read a story for one of my sermons a few weeks ago that talked about a drunk man saying to his drunk friend, I can't pull you out of this gutter, so I'm just going to lay down next to you and be in the gutter with you. And I think that our job in society as well as in the church is to say, no, I understand that you are in a gutter right now. I understand that you have a disadvantage right now. I understand that you need to do better right now. So let me show you how to do better. Let me encourage you to do better. I remember one time of several years ago, I was doing discipleship at the potter's house and I rolled up to the table to talk to my guys and I said, uh, good morning, gentlemen, how are you? And one of the kids said, I'm not a gentleman, I'm just a kid. And I said, but my aspiration for you is to become a gentleman. And so that is why I'm addressing you as such. Because I believe that you can and should be preparing to be a gentleman right now. You see, being a man is not something that happens the minute you turn 18. It's something that begins when you're 10, when you're 12, when you're 14, when you're 16. As a matter of fact, the very idea of a teenager was not even in existence until a 1940s Reader's Digest article. Think about that. We did not even have a concept for teenager until the 1940s. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, When I was a child, I thought as a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So this idea of the soft bigotry of low expectation, it applies in the classroom. It also applies in the church. What did Paul say to Timothy? Timothy, He said, Let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example to the believer in faith and in purity. And that's the message that we need to be sharing with our young people. And that's the example and the message that I try to give my students every day when I go into the classroom with them. And so as we, as we look at this um, 
soft bigotry of low expectations, we need to look at it correctly. We need to say, just because there's changes that need to be made doesn't mean we should take away all of the academic standards we have. That's not the right response. On the other side, we need to say that just because we have these standards and that's the way we've always done it doesn't mean that we should always do it that way. Because I think that's one of the traps of education. So we need a balance in these things. And as I said, I think it applies spiritually as well. As I said earlier, today we are discussing the myth we don't have to tell other people that they are sinners. This is sadly something that even some preachers who claim to speak in the name of God are saying. And it's a dangerous thought process and a dangerous philosophy. Why is that? Because the very premise of becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is realizing that we need him for salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And it also says in Romans chapter 3 that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We'll dig into that a little further as we go on, but let's start with our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes directly from Jesus, from the book of Matthew. And one thing that I will preface this quote with is, I find it very interesting that there are so many preachers, as I said, that espouse things that Jesus never did. People who claim to speak for Jesus, but speak in direct opposition to what he actually said. So listen to this quote of the day, and you'll see what I mean. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, we could do a whole podcast episode just on this passage, but I want to point out a few things to you as we embark on this important discussion. The first thing I want to point out to you is the the Pharisees' question to the disciples. They say, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? So they are putting themselves on a different level than the publicans and, quote, sinners. They're saying, we are not sinners, we are good people, why does Jesus spend his time with sinners? And this is very similar to what they do in John chapter 9, when the man born blind is healed, and he comes into the temple, and he's telling them about what Jesus did for him, and he says, do you want to believe on Jesus as well? And they said, are you a sinner, and do you 
teach us. Again, putting themselves above him as if they, in their status, in the place where they are, are not sinners. So that's the first mistake. And then Jesus hears this, and his response is, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And when I first used to hear this as a kid, I was like, well, obviously, if if you've already accepted Jesus, you don't need uh, salvation. You don't need to be healed if you're not sick. So I, I kind of took the, the literal meaning of that. But what Jesus was really saying here is that if you think that, that you're righteous, there's nothing I can do for you. The only way that you can come to God is if you realize that you are imperfect. If you realize that you are a sinner, then you can come to God and be made righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. But you see, if I don't believe, if you don't believe that we need righteousness, there's no reason to ask God for righteousness or to pursue righteousness from God. And then I I think it's significant, this line, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying all these external things, this fasting twice a week, this giving of alms, all those external things mean nothing. Remember, we've talked in the past in this series about how our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Nothing that we do is good enough for heaven. So what Jesus is saying, I want you to have mercy on others. I want you to have a contrite heart, a broken heart before me. I don't care about the external sacrifices you are making because they come from a heart that's evil. As a matter of fact, there's another verse where Jesus quotes the prophets and he says, they profess to love me, but their hearts are far from me. So that is what Jesus is saying. So for people to get up in pulpits Sunday after Sunday and to say, we don't need to tell people they are sinners or I don't want to focus on sin, that's a horrible place to start. Because that is the starting place. In Romans it says, while we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Why? Because we don't have strength of our own. So as we dig into this issue of lovingly and graciously letting people know of their position as sinners, that's where we need to start. And as we begin, I just want to share with you this clip from Vadi Bakum and his perspective on this important issue. Sinners don't need to be told they're sinners. They know they're sinners. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. They look at the guy on the news who hacks somebody up and they say, that's a sinner, not me. They don't sin. They make mistakes. You sin, but they don't. They make bad choices. They have bad patches. They have bad habits. But they're not sinners. Okay, so consider what this is saying. Vadi Bakum is laying out for us the fact that in in the world's eyes, they're not sinners. They just make mistakes. 
And this has really colored a lot of what we do. Think about this. We are supposed to glorify God in our body, which belongs to him. And sometimes by using the addiction language, we are making excuses for why we continue to do these things. And we're not calling sin, sin. What Vadi is outlining for us here is that when we look at ourselves, we tend to say, well, I'm a pretty good person who sometimes makes mistakes. But then we look at other people doing the same things as us, and we say, how could they be such sinners? The tendency is to look at at people like the children of Israel complaining in the wilderness and say, well, why did they complain so much? God had made himself manifest to them, and yet they were always complaining. Why is that? And then I take a look at my own life, and I realize, wait a second, I am indeed a complainer of that ilk. I have said before on this show that there have been times when I have complained and groaned before God and had a horrible attitude and God still chose to bless me. So we need to realize, as we are ministering to others, as we are reaching out to the lost, that we are no better than them. Paul said, it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. What was he saying there? He was saying, anything good that is coming out of my life is because of the grace of God. He was very honest and open about his past. He said, I was a blasphemer of blasphemers. I was the worst of the worst, essentially, and then God broke through and redeemed me. He talked about in Romans chapter 7 that he was someone who was human, who the things that he wanted to do, he didn't do, and the things that he didn't want to do, those things he did. And he talked about how hopeless that was, but then that Jesus Christ gave him the victory. And that's the way that we need to look at this issue. Paul loved to preach the gospel. He loved to share the hope of Christ, but where did he start? He started with the fact that we are sinners in need of saving. And in fact, he said his desire was for all of Israel to be saved. Why? Because he was an Israelite of the Israelites. He loved God's chosen people. So let's look at some different aspects of what the Bible says about us being sinners. Because as a minister of the gospel, it is not just an option for me not to talk about sin. The Bible talks about sin. Jesus talked about sin from what we just read. And so if we're going to be faithful ministers of the gospel, we ourselves need to talk about sin. So the first thing I want to mention is something that I hinted at a few minutes ago. We all fall short. Repentance is key to accepting and receiving God's righteousness. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Again, there's a lot of truth here, but let's just hit some highlights. First of all, we've all sinned. That's all. That's a definitive article. There is nobody that is excluded from that. Earlier in the chapter, we read that there is none righteous. As we talked about previously on this show, there is none that seeks after God. So, this is the situation of all mankind. We all fall short. But then we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare righteousness for the remission of sins through the forbearance of God. So Christ was given to be the propitiation of our sins. And if we weren't sinners... If that, if acknowledging that was not an important part of the process, then why was Christ delivered up? He was delivered up for the propitiation of our sins, for the payment of our sins, because of the forbearance of God. When Jesus died, God says, I'm not going to pour out my wrath on you if you trust him. Remember in the Old Testament when the children of Israel sinned and these poisonous serpents came upon them and was was making them sick and killing them by biting them, what did God say? He said to Moses, build a serpent on a pole, hang it up there, and if the people look upon it and live, they will live. And Jesus says the same thing to us today. Look upon me and live. And he said at the Passover, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The tenth plague was to take the life of the oldest, the firstborn. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And he says the same thing to us when it comes to Christ's blood When he sees Christ's blood covering us, he will pass over us. He will not execute his judgment upon us because that judgment has been poured out on Jesus. But repentance is the key. The only way to repent from sin is to realize that you are in sin. So we must talk about it. The second point is we need freedom from sin to become the servants of righteousness. Romans 6, 22 and 23 says, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Again, the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And the only way we could become servants of God 
and have fruit unto holiness is by being made free from sin. How are we made free from sin? By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Again, if we do not have a concept that we are sinners, we are without hope. There's no way to deal with this situation if we do not know that we have sinned. We have to have knowledge of sin, which as Paul said, he learned by the law. Through the law is knowledge of sin. We have to have knowledge of sin in order to pursue redemption. Because if I don't know I'm a sinner... There's no reason to repent. And if there's no reason to repent, I do not have redemption. They go together. Next, we need to realize that Jesus preached repentance. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Once again, how do we repent? How do we prepare for the kingdom of heaven if we don't know that we are sinners? We live in a culture, as has been discussed much on this podcast over the past year, where people are living their own truth. That is probably one of the most dangerous philosophies of all, the fact that we can have our own truth. Divorced from any other standard. If you want to know the biggest reason for chaos today, it's because of that. Because when you and I discuss a topic... The culture tells us to embrace our truth. So if you and I have what we believe to be different truths, that ends any discussion on the topic because there's no way for either of us to acknowledge that we're wrong. Incidentally, it plays such a big role in the culture at large. Michael Knowles pointed this out this last summer during the 2020 riots. He said Martin Luther King Jr. said that he his dream for his children was that they would be judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. But Michael pointed out that we don't know what good character is because we no longer have have a standard. That's a pretty sobering thought. 
that we no longer know what good character is because we no longer have a standard. And I think that's so important. The Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than fine silver. It's so important for us to pursue a good name. The only way we can do that is through Jesus Christ. Again, it's kind of interesting because the world will get upset because we think that they should have an exceptionally high standard. And and they may couch it as if we're trying to judge them. But the reality is, the reason that I am a Christian today is because I realize that I fall short of perfection. I'm not sitting here saying that you should have a standard that I am perfect at. No, rather I am saying that you should put yourself under the covering and the blood of Jesus, the Son of Almighty God, because He can give you the perfection necessary to enter into heaven. Jude puts it this way, Now unto Him who is able to present you faultless before the throne of God. The only one who can do that is Jesus because you and I are far from faultless. As we continue, we see God desires that all would come to repentance. Again, I feel sad for the world because they would have you to believe that those of us who are Christians think that we are better than those who are not. I can assure you that for the born-again believer who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he does not believe that. I do not believe that. Second Peter 3, 9, and 10 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. Incidentally, I feel like this passage in Second Peter 3, verses 9 and 10, is a good example of why the Bible is true. Because if the Bible was written just as a self-help book or just as a man-made construct, why would you write about this? Why would you write about the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night, the heavens passing away with a great noise, and the elements of the earth melting with a fervent heat? This did not come from man. This is not a cunningly devised fable. Rather, this is the truth of the future. I often will tell people, I believe in the Big Bang. I just believe that it's coming soon, not that it already happened. 
So God is saying here that he will come back. That was his promise. He's not abdicating his promise. He's simply waiting for more people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that they may be saved. He knows that not everybody will come to repentance. He knows that some will choose hell. See, some of these false teachers can't grasp the fact that Jesus is the only way because they say, why would a loving God send people to hell? But the reality is, a loving God does not send people to hell. Rather, people decide to reject a loving God and choose hell instead. Because there's no middle ground. Next, repentance will will refresh you. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ should suffer hath he so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he will send Jesus Christ which before was preached to you. At this point, Peter is preaching and he is saying that all the things that the prophets wrote about Jesus, about the Messiah, were fulfilled in Jesus. And that if we trust Jesus, we will be part of the times of refreshing that will come and that we will be sent the very spirit of Jesus Christ. The Bible says at the time of conversion, according to Ephesians chapter 1, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God wants to refresh us. He wants to give us abundant life. And that can happen as we trust him to refresh us, as we repent of our sins and allow him in. See, because the reality is there can only be one God of our lives. Either it's us or it's him. Either we are servants of our father, the devil, or we are servants of our father, God. Bob Dylan said it this way, we were made to serve somebody. We've got to serve somebody. It may be the Lord and it may be the devil, but you've got to serve somebody. Because it's really true, we were made to be servants. The question is, whose servants will we be? So I hope that this discussion has given you a lot to think about. I hope that it has encouraged you. I would urge you to share it with your family and friends. That's how more people get to know about this podcast and get to benefit from the things that we discussed. If you have any questions or comments about what I have to share, I would encourage you to to share them with me with the contact information that's about to roll. I encourage you to search the scriptures to prove whether the things that I say are so. Because the fact that I say them doesn't make them true. 
As I said, you can claim to be a minister of the Word of God, but if you don't preach the Word of God, you are a liar. So, I'm accountable to make sure that I preach the whole counsel of God. So, I encourage you to search the Scriptures and see if the things I I say are so. Because what I have to say is not very important, but what God has to say is of the utmost importance. Well, that's about all I have time for today. I hope you have a great week and that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.